Okay. All right. Hey there, everybody. Steve here, welcoming you back to another edition of the Baked and Awake podcast. Going to be attempting here to see if we've got enough computer resources to record audio while I also record a screen capture from QuickTime. I'm going to try to share with you, I don't know what it is, it's an interesting, like, library, a website with a lot of different contributors on it. Um, It's in Russian, so the pages that we'll be viewing are going to be translated by, like, Google Translate or something. And uh, I'm not sure what it's all about right now, uh, other than to say that it's uh, like, there we go, we're recording, yep, click to record the full screen, should be recording now. Um, Well, let's just get right to it and show you what I'm talking about. I stumbled upon this, like, was looking at a YouTube channel, a favorite of mine. One which I plan to do a podcast episode about pretty soon. Uh, the YouTube channel was Hotheflomsta. You see it up top here, Godgevlomsta. Okay, for those of you who will be watching the video of this on YouTube, I'm going to release this with the screen recording straight to YouTube. You guys are going to get some audio here on the podcast. If you want to see the stuff that we're actually looking at you can hit pause right now and stop it and roll on over to youtube i'm going to try to time this so that everything gets released at the exact same time it would appear that this name for you know in english breaks down to god gave lobster one word and uh a friend of mine who's like Finnish or something told me that this guy's Belgian and the closer to a correct pronunciation would be Hodhepromsta, something along those lines. So I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. On my friend Hodhepromsta's YouTube channel, he has a number of videos that he has made that are about a theory that he has called Gigantic Earth or Crater Earth. So Following my mouse arrow down here, you can see two years ago he started out with this. Is the moon a reflection of a gigantic earth? So I believe I was going to entitle this episode for podcast you know, distribution purposes something like, And you thought flat earth was weird. Okay. Um, and I'm not knocking this guy right now. As you can see here, I've watched pretty much all his videos. These are showing partial viewing, but I've watched them over and over again, so I'm a little bit unsure of why these these two look like I haven't watched the whole video. He's got a part one where he first introduces the theory two years ago. I'm not going to press play on any of these videos here. I don't want a copyright strike on my upload to YouTube, and I don't have his express permission to reproduce or mirror or share the videos in my content. Um, So what I'm hoping to do here is describe and characterize a little bit of the uh, idea to you and then point you at the channel so that you can check it out yourself. I'm starting here on his channel because I want to tell you that in a comment to this first video, one of his older videos, I was re-watching it yesterday getting ready to do the, the podcast, 
and I started reading the comments more in detail than I had up to this point in time. I saw a comment that was super interesting that um, linked to this library. So before we go there, though, the Hadhiflamsta channel uh, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, at least nine, 10, 11, 12, probably at least 12 videos on the gigantic Earth and how it works. He also comes to refer to it kind of like Crater Earth uh, after a while. So uh, in a nutshell, and I would recommend watching part one and part two of Is the Moon a Reflection of a Gigantic Earth, if you, if you find this intriguing, um, he posits that the moon is a reflection of the Earth and that our entire known geography of Earth is contained entirely in one small crater on the light side of the moon, the moon map that we see all the time. He has a name for the crater. Uh, I think it's Sulpicius Gallus M. He has identified on the on the moon map a number of other of our planets in the solar system, and has described a model where this all could work and could be accurate. Uh, it talks about you know your perspective on Earth and how you know our point of observation could, you know, lend itself to certain interpretations or misinterpretations of what's being observed above us. So you can see here his channel. It's pretty hard to spell. G-O-D-G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E. It's a, it's a great channel, and I'm going to go in full length on his theories soon. But let's find the comment that was so interesting. Okay, so I had to pause him, make sure his name is Wim from Belgium. Okay, great guy. Really neat stuff. Somehow I haven't liked this video for him yet. Oh my. Or maybe my like went away somehow. Oh yeah, we're running into resources. We're running into resources trying to load this video up in this browser pane, that's for sure. Resource limitations. Let's hope that I'm trying to get... Oh my gosh, you guys can see my mouse just going nuts over here struggling hard all right rolling down a ways here a lot of funny comments you know what have you been smoking and stuff like that yeah, here's another one what weed are you on what drugs are you taking oh my gosh this is a troll video it has to be am i going to be able to get to our comment this video gave my brain cancer <laughs> quick answer no Oh, goodness. Yeah, everybody's so smart. I mean, man, we're just so lucky these people came through on YouTube to drop those helpful comments. Dude, what if we are still on Noah's Ark? And that the Arctic walls are the Ark itself. It's not bad. I don't know how this guy didn't even get so much as one thumbs up for that one. I kind of like it. Yeah, dimensions in the Bible given a tiny bit off. Sure, I'm sure that's true. Um, all right, well, I I don't know if... System resources are going to even allow me to dig my way down to the comment that got me excited and that pointed me at this crazy library. Kind of thinking it's not going so hot, and I don't think my system performance is going to improve that much. So the important part is I read a comment that pointed me at this crazy library. 
um, first they pointed me at the, the very same person uh, observed that Hothefflomsta's theories are actually somewhat foreshadowed by a book that I have a PDF of right here, uh, written in 1969, called Plea for a Flat Earth. And uh, in this book, the author posits a very novel, like, cosmogony model that, from what I understand by the commenter, um, is very similar to Hadhiflamsta's belief. Now, uh, the giant earth or crater earth that Hadhiflamsta posits would mean that extraterrestrials, if there are any, come from elsewhere on the larger planet. Flat, round, whatever you think it is. Not really worried about it. Um, I believe Hodhaflamsta thinks that it is a giant round planet, but that from our perspective in a small crater on the surface of this enormous planet, that it would certainly appear flat to us. And that extraterrestrials come from other craters further out on this giant planet. So the name extraterrestrial itself, in a sense, alludes to extra land, right? Not necessarily lands in other remote locations. Um, that's a tangent, though. Let's briefly look at this plea for a flat earth complete uh, PDF and just read this these bullet-pointed notes. I'll read the first paragraph of page four. I, I, you know, started a couple pages back here. Here's the cover. Plea for the Flat Earth and the Moon Smiles by Klaus Dijkstra. So, I mean, we're definitely dealing with Russians of some kind here, all the way around. Be assured, page four, be assured that logic is my motto for the purpose to wake up globe thinkers from a centuries-old intoxication. Now remember, this was written in 1969, so this is before YouTube, this is before the internet, this is before tin hat conspiracy theorists were a thing, this is before the X-Files, this is before, I mean, this may not be before the Twilight Zone or uh, the Outer Limits, but this would have definitely qualified for that kind of uh, realm, because that was probably the closest thing in science fiction to shining light on possible conspiracies back in the day. Anyway, be assured that logic is my motto for the purpose to wake up globe thinkers from a centuries-old intoxication. As you can imagine, the situation can become touchy when the dreamer, mentioned, deems himself as cold sober, and to the contrary depicts me as a dreamer. But in order for such a comical situation, I really am on the alert. Luckily, it is about a concrete subject of which the fundamental principle has to be able to offer firm resistance to the criticism. If I wasn't prepared for that, I wouldn't be standing here firmly with both legs on the ground, but would have kept my mouth tight shut. As it is, I do know that I don't know everything, and do not tell myself as well the tale that you, on my authority, immediately will agree with me. I for myself was not convinced either, just like that in a whim. Far from it. It became a long-lasting period of brain exercise, and obviously seriousness. The hypotheses are these. One that the Earth does not spin and does not move around the Sun. Two, 
that we do not have antipodes, and there is no starry sky under the earth. 3. That the sun is not bigger, but smaller than the earth, and is much closer as was assumed. 4. That we do not see with, but in the eye. 5. That and airplanes and artificial moons and astronauts are circling lawfully around the sun, around like the sun and the moon, on and near the equatorial zone, with the old North Pole area as center. 6. Crucially here. That the moon works as a mirror in which the whole earth reflects itself in the flat. He finishes the next paragraph with, As it is, I am standing here as a self-taught man. Consequently, do not expect any plea in strict academic standards from me. I launch ideas, and my furnishing of proof is based on facts and logical conclusions. So this is a 178-page book. Um, we're not going to read it here. I cannot wait to read this in full. Uh, I am not, you know, anybody who's been listening to the podcast for a while knows I'm not here to push flat earth on people. I'm not a flat earth signer offer. I'm not a flat earth promoter. Uh, I'm interested in it, though. I'm, I'm over my fear of that mystery. I'm over my fear of speaking about it, like and even saying that I've clicked on a flat earth video on YouTube, because believe me, there's been been doing this for over two years now and you haven't really heard me barely bring up flat earth other than like in passing passing i'm here to tell you that the longer you look at flat earth materials content and the better presented stuff out there the more thought-provoking not the less the more thought-provoking that theory and concept is they ask a lot of good questions a lot of good questions. Questions that you think you have the answers to. That you tell yourself you've been educated beyond. And that I'm here, sitting here, telling you that you don't have the answers to. That you're not as well educated on as you think. And why do I say that? I say it for the same reason I say it about every other topic that we talk about on this podcast. We don't really ask questions. We're not trained and educated to ask real questions. We're trained and conditioned to accept glib, condescending, and patronizing answers from our teachers, from so-called experts, figures of authority, and especially from any face that appears on a television screen in front of us and extend that television screen face's magical authority to almost everyone you see on highly produced content anywhere on the web. And I call it content being very gentle and flattering with it here because in a lot of cases what we're looking at and what we're consuming and what we're being fed and force-fed is programming, naked programming. Conspiracy theorists use terms like the official narrative and the mainstream media for a reason. I'm going to have to definitely cut out a bunch of my boring screen capture here because we've been staring at this page for a while on my screen recording. But let's move on. Let's move on. Let's get to this interesting library. So this commenter, um, I think his name was Alexander Lightwater, pointed us at this book first. And then he made mention of a writer 
who turned out to be super Russian, Katbyov Alexander Mikhailovich. And uh, I'm looking at one of his uh, other articles right now. I want to go to the scrape I did right here of his main essay that seems to tie into the giant earth theory, the crater earth of Hothoflomsta, and our other author from the 1960s there, right? Klaus Dijkstra. So, uh, Katbyov, Alexander Mihailovich, back in 2010 wrote this essay. It was most, uh, it's still been being updated and talked about and commented on all the way up till around two se- 2017. Haven't seen any activity here by the looks of it in the log at this website. And you're, and you're looking now at my Google Drive pull down of the page. I'm going to go back to the actual page lib.ru here in just a moment. But let's look first at the Chrono Capsule essay here. So you could tell, like, just by the, even the formatting of my scrape, this library, whatever it is, appears to be um, weird and esoteric, but they try to take an academic approach to formatting the information. And there's a lot of people here in this uh, library other than Mikhailovich here. But he wrote this essay called Chrono Capsule. Here we have the abstract for it sort of a subtitle that explains the paper. It says, Or a means of protection and preservation for the descendants of especially valuable biostructures. Now, we're talking about this today for a reason. I need anybody who's listening who speaks Russian, reads Russian, has close friends who speak or read Russian, to please follow the link that will be in the show notes for you to follow up on this for me and help me because the translation I've got is from Google Translate and really I'm sure it's broken. We're going to read a bit of this Carno Capsule essay. Some of it's going to sound very interesting and very sensible. I don't know if it'll sound sensible. (laughs) Smoke a lot of weed, so. But it's going to sound like something interesting. I'll tell you that. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody in the community, somebody in within the reach of my voice, will take a peek at this essay and see if they can't help us come up with a better translation of the doc, because I feel like a lot of it's probably slightly broken. Let's see what heads or tails we can make of it, though, shall we? Chronocapsule, or a means of protection and preservation for the descendants of particularly valuable biostructures. Let's make sure we're doing what we think we're doing. We are. It looks good. We're recording. Let's... Where'd our screen record go? Where'd our screen record go? See, I'm not sure we're getting the screen record at all. Which might mean we're starting over entirely. It might mean we're starting over entirely. Quick time, what are you doing? Nope, you're there somewhere. Uh... Oh, geez, there it is. Way up there. All right, well, let's keep rolling, and I'll try to do some editing. Do the best we can. Um, that's a recording of Stefan Heller talking about the Nag Hammadi scriptures. Chrono capsule, 
is a sarcophagus for moving in time and space without fuel consumption and finance. Everything is known about phantoms. These are all kinds of ghosts and drumsticks. Somehow, they suddenly appear, walk independently, usually in castles, advertise various miracles, and even have the ability to talk. In addition, there are mirages in which disappearing cities, ships appear, and even scenes from ancient life are played out. In some cases, these mirages come true. There are known cases of the so-called manifestations when an object or biostructure that disappeared at one time suddenly appears in our time, and the age of the missing remains the one at which the loss occurred. Ships, planes, and entire settlements disappear. And this is even in our time. It is believed that there are several centers on Earth where extinctions occur. This is both the Bermuda Triangle and the China Sea. However, it should be noted that extinction can occur anywhere in the world. Examples. 1. In 1914, a capsule with an atlant and a message was found in the Atlantic Ocean. 2. In Altai, a girl raised a stone and split it. There was a lizard inside the stone, not known to science. The lizard ran away. Recently, 3. Recently, a passenger from the Titanic was found in the North Sea. Her age has remained the same. I don't know. Again, Russian translated to English. Very awkward, I think, at times. It says next, lay on the glacier, period. Maybe she was laying on a glacier when they found her. Four, flying and floating people observed in large numbers, even in ancient Rome. They are known in the Far East. 5. In the mine, in a mine, of 10 miners, one was lost for the shift. After the end of the shift, they appeared in the form of an old man, in parentheses, with the identity of the missing miner. He spoke in an incomprehensible language, and his drawings were similar to drawings and sculptures already known to science from different places on Earth. 6. 70 kilometers northeast of Sochi, along the route, a structure, in parentheses, Dolmen, Dolmen, you might recall, is an Indian phallic monument that is usually, uh, you know, looks like a mushroom or a penis uh, and is uh, placed, it's usually stone and it's in a circle uh, on its base. Um, and there are thousands of them and a lot of them are inside uh, ancient Hindu temples and things. Dolmen with a hole is a place where some kind of purification and getting fresh information, period. 7. There are flying Dutch who disappeared hundreds of years ago. The flying Dutchman, of course, the flying Dutchman um, sailing ships. In December 1995, a plane disappeared following a flight from Petropavlovsk, Kamchatsky to Khabarovsk suddenly was found on a hill, past which search brigades flew hundreds of times. They found, however, only half the plane. The tail section had disappeared. Documents, clothing, were intact, but there were no signs of the presence of human remains. 10. Sarcophagi with the mummies of the pharaohs. 11. The funeral of people, in parentheses, coffin, hyphen, chronocapsule. Jews should only be buried. So that must be a reference to a Jewish 
you know, death burial tradition. Maybe they were among the first cultures to bury people. I'm not sure about that. It didn't come across like, it's really the only mention of Jewish people, so I don't think it's like a weird, veiled, like, you know, kind of statement. In bold, the opinion of official science. A chronocapsule is a sarcophagus for time travel. After opening, does not work. So, after examining the chronocapsule by the government, led by Stalin, Stalin became ill, and the author was shot. Link to 44 codons of DNA, the meaning of which has not yet been deciphered. 64 codons in total, 20 amino acids are known. In parentheses. The question is being studied, again in parentheses, using a horse letter, a bore atom, a periodic table, and so on, hyphen, derivatives of these standards. What's a horse letter, you guys? Horsepower? Using horsepower. I bet you horse letter is a bad translation for horsepower because horsepower is a basic unit of power measurement that we you know, came up with, I don't know if it was arbitrary or how we determined what a horsepower really was. It's something about how much weight a horse can move within a minute or something along those lines um, is one horsepower. Uh, but I, I feel like horse letter is probably horsepower. A bore atom, a periodic table, and so on, derivatives of these standards. That's why I'm saying, you know, it, we use it as a standard. There is no result yet because the church can be calm. So he's there indicating that, you know, they have some understanding of human DNA and these chronocapsules, but it's all being held back and all being obscured, and maybe they're not even looking into it right now very much because they can afford to be patient. There are many theories, but everyone has the same base, in parentheses, C standards. In bold, the opinion of an amateur from science. Time within the solar system creates the sun, where the outer layer of the atom is, quote, stripped to 127 octaves at a temperature of about 6,300,000 degrees Kelvin. A measure in time in 127 octaves is called a second. I, 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 don't, I have no idea what he's talking about here. <laughs> Regarding a clock cycle of one second, all metabolic processes the operation of all earth control systems, automatic control systems, all communication systems both on earth and external with planetary satellites are synchronized. 128 octave is a charge and the charge potential is always 100% in parentheses limits from 0 to 124. 63 octave is a magnetic impulse or gravitational potential should always be 100%. Limits from negative 123.999 to 123.999. Violations in the time system according to the amateur from science. So now he has a table that um, anybody who's still watching the QuickTime you know, capture of my screen will see blanks uh, here where these little thumbnail graphics should be these graphics aren't that great they're not that um illuminating i've got them and the the but the link to the doc that you guys are going to get is going to be to the website anyway 
So those visual aids will be there. Uh, let's see if we can make heads or tails of this uh, number one bullet point here. Violations in the time system, according to the amateur from science. So he's, he's making a little fun of himself here. He's having some fun with us. One, the Earth around the sun moves in a spiral. The entire solar system moves at a speed of 23.6 kilometers per second, and any meteorite that hits the sun forms a proton medium that is perceived on Earth after the rotation of the sun as a black spot. That is, an area with several times lower temperature. Any such spot changes the general potential of 128 octaves, and the normal conditions for the existence of a beat are violated throughout the solar system. And communication distortions, metabolic disturbances, and other surprises occur. Stripped to 128 octaves, the atomic block is plasma. The introduction of any material structure envelops a portion of the plasma with a dodecahedral structure, that is, focal plasma materialization with a sharp decrease in temperature. Cold plasma. Um, so I'm absolutely guessing here, but when he's talking about these octaves and potentials that are distorted and or restricted uh, at different octaves and frequencies, this reminds me a little bit of those who uh, theorized that the sun is like our planetary logos and in many ways is conscious and that light is encoding information along with it as it comes down to us. Sorry, had to quickly grab a antacid. I had a bit of heartburn going there and it was just really getting to me. So I gave myself a few minutes and uh, packed a bowl because goodness gracious, this is baked and awake. Let's get stoned, you guys. Because obviously we need to because <laughs> this stuff is wild. To continue though, with the chrono capsule abstract white paper it's kind of a white paper isn't it that we're reading the difference in optical perception forms the color that passes through a series of gratings and is always perceived as black science of course relates these spots to the internal problems of the sun only due to the reactions of helium and hydrogen a meteorite can fall anywhere not only on the moon for all the time of existence, there were no meteorite falls, in parentheses. Don't know what that means. They could simply pierce the surface of the moon, and the development of civilized humanity would be stopped. In addition, all cycles in women depend on the moon. Many metabolic processes on Earth, too. But this is not a significant distortion. The Swiss watch, the Swiss watch will lag a maximum of two to three hours a day. But the time itself will remain. Okay. Two, the zone K is marked in figure, oscillations of the time step, blah, 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 blah. You guys will have to look at these and look at the graphics themselves. Let's go past those tables and just try to pick it up. If the charge vectors coincide, the time cycle decreases, and when 123.999% is reached, one second of real time turns into hundreds of years, in parentheses, instant aging the Tajik version, when a three-year-old child looked like a decrepit old man. During normalization, 
Zeroing occurs simultaneously and the brain receives information about all previous events. Why and how did these processes occur? As indicated, the Earth has octaves from 8 to 512. This is the first time we see the 512 number up above. We saw 127 and 128, but no problem. And any of them could be gravitational. But all the constructions based on the dodecahedral isocahedral structure, the tetrahedron and the cube are used only to control the structure. Uh, those of you who are more into the esoteric may be picking up on why I find this essay so interesting. Here he alludes to things that sound to me a little bit like sacred geometry and the flower of life and the patterns that arise out of it, including things like Metatron's cube. Um, and he's likening, if you haven't figured it out yet, our Earth realm to a terrarium, a manufactured biome that is plasma encased by a cold plasma that is powered by a small but near sun that itself is different fundamentally in nature than what we've been taught. Okay. Back to the doc. Get a quick puff though. Try not to cough my balls off. The clock cycle is set by the structure that provides the maximum working octave. Today, it is 96 octave. By the way, this is also plasma. The conflict situation arose because the cycle developed by the sun is built on a cubic tetrahedral structure that is incompatible in meaning with the basic structure of the cosmos. In terms of actions, the 96 octave is below 128, so any change that occurs in a series of octaves 8 through 96 affects a series of octaves 16 through 128 and changes not only the connection, but also all metabolic processes. From 3-12-2019, all cycles in the solar system will, appear, will depend on 96 octaves. Did I say 3-12-2016? 3-12-2009. Consider the various options for the interaction of incompatible measures and features of their existence. Smoke faster. We introduce the notation. The atomic block has conditional structures. Other structures can be omitted here. I'm not sure if it's atomic block or atomic clock. The word on screen is block, as you can see right here. Conditional structures, in parentheses, other structures can be omitted here. The dodecahedral, isocahedral structure, isosahedral, isosahedral, D-I-S. The cubic tetrahedral structure is KTS, in bold, annihilation of measure 128. That's like a heading, I think. At 128 octave, the vectors, in parentheses, magnetic pulse motion, are directed towards each other. There are three options for annihilation. The potentials of the vectors are the same. An explosion occurs, and the magnetic pulses disappear. The explosion destroys the entire design of the Christmas tree. The potential of the KTS vector, the potential of the DIS vector, but the sum is less than 21%. The beat disappears without annihilation. The Christmas tree disappears without a trace, i.e. control shows that everything is fine. Potential of the CCC vector is less than 
the potential of the DIS vector. The whole system is saved and transferred under the control of 96 octaves. Bear with me here. In bold, superposition of measure 128. At 128 octave, the vectors, in parentheses the movement of the magnetic pulse, are directed in one direction. There are six options. It starts getting, uh, so the, the rest of this paragraph is like m this inscrutable math, this octaves math. Um, the vibe I get, and the vibe I'm hoping somebody gets who follows along behind me and actually listens to this and goes and checks this document out, is this sounds like, in some obscure way, like code. Not um, secret code, but computer code? And they mentioned, you know, saving and transferring. Back up the top of the dock, they talk about saving a given biome without fuel or costs, right? Let's see if I can get down to, I mean, and if you look at this page on the screen recording, I mean, it's just a wall of numbers here, uh, you know, interspersed with, again, this translated explanatory text, which I'm sure is getting a little bit kerfuffled coming from Russian to English. Here in the table where there, you know, will uh, ordinarily on the, man, I'm really blowing it by not using the website itself right now to read this because you guys could see these little visuals. I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. Um, but, you know, it's it's his content and, you know, you should go read the real white paper and, and look at it all, including the guy's diagrams. Let's just listen to the language a little bit here, the terminology, whether it's translated or not accurately. It's, in some cases, these are such specific words, words that I have to assume they're pretty identical. With normalization, there can be variants, all variants, of both annihilation and superposition. When replacing a beat, preference is given to normalization, when the main goal is not to destroy the grid. With normalization, you can give any value of the swap potential, and the main condition is that there is no signal for monitoring. So he terms our biome or biosphere something called the noosphere, N-O-O, two O's, sphere. <clears throat> this is to say sort of the um, penultimate, the ultimate atmosphere above our breathable atmosphere. The noosphere sphere might be you know, beyond which you cannot go. No, <laughs> not sure. It's a control system. He's calling it a control system. Noosphere from H equals negative 2200 M to 12,400 M. All control systems have a control range from 12 to 512 octaves. 512 octave value equals some gigantic number string 13407807929942597099574024998205847 you know it just goes like and, and that's less than half of it uh, so this is some you know probably really cracked crackpot stuff i don't know but and maybe this guy all the way back in 2010 was just pulling things together from lots of different real science disciplines and just going full, you know, whack job with it, uh, a la time cube guy. I mean, with, and I, and I reference time cube guy, cause this, this chrono capsule terminology instantly, uh, brings to mind the time cube guy. Uh, 
James Earl Ray, I think is his name, that I would love to do an episode on at some point in time, but uh, Frederick Knudsen's Down the Rabbit Hole did an amazing one on the Time Cube. You don't really need me for it. Uh, you can find that on YouTube somewhere. Uh, maybe I'll even throw that up as a link just for a bonus fun hole to go down for sure for you guys. Let's see if we can pick out any other interesting little details about how he thinks this noosphere works. All right, because again, we're in the chrono capsule as far as Mikhailovich is concerned. We're inside a chrono capsule. We're we're in it right now. T- time may not be passing by on the outside of our sphere at the same rate that it is in here with us. And he's kind of implying, in a sense, like that there's more of these. That maybe these chrono capsule bubbles are, you know nested next to each other in a larger environment and you know he's talking about people showing up and appearing and disappearing in and out of our noosphere at the top of the dock so are those interdimensional travelers really people trapped in different noospheres different chrono capsules um, that occasionally through some fluctuation in the octave cycle through some degradation in the pattern that should keep the uh, tetrahedron intact and keep our noosphere intact and safe and, you know, time dilated to the settings of the control system that, you know, during these moments, meteorite impact, the sun gets corrupted for a moment. People, like, blink out of existence here or blink back in here from elsewhere, somewhere they've been. The parts that he borrows that are what we just read a moment ago that sort of sounded like a weird kind of like logic and instruction path in a, in a way or framework that could be you know iterated upon into a control system kind of i don't know sounds a little bit like simulation theory in a sense um or opens up a possibility for thinking of i don't know like a mandela effect kind of potentiality here and some of that i might be getting from a second paper of his that i read called like in what environment do we live which is another really interesting one let's jump down here to the basis of the structure of the noosphere is the penta therefore there must be five in the decomposition the numbers two must not be less than the octave value this is the basis of quartz which is used to calculate the pyramids the decomposition should contain only two and five, but three should not be. The remainder of the decomposition should be a prime number, which also has an adjacent. After performing the same operations, we get the secondary outline of the pyramid. This forms the mantissa, or a specific frequency, working in the structure of the upper tracking. Each operating frequency in parentheses of any mantissa should have 33 tracking frequencies, why do, where do you even, who, I mean, <laughs> why did you write this? Why do you come up with this? Who, what is this? What am I reading? What are you listening to? What are we doing? Let's go ride bikes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm yelling, but I love it. I don't know why. He continues, thus, pyramids are quartz oscillators that produce strictly defined frequencies. Pyramids with fixed and floating geometry are known. The first floating geometry pyramids were discovered on the moon. 
On Earth, only four complexes have pyramids with floating geometry. Their main purpose is similar to a car hijacker's scanner, to link a new frequency structure to existing ones. Interesting. Quartzization relative to the base is 2. Communication with the penta is 5. Since there are cubes in the structure of the lattice, 3 are used to maintain them, but there is no quartzing of 3, so the frequencies for the cubes are firmly attached to the pyramids, and in case of any accident, the mantissa built on 3 disappears. The binding of structures based on mantissa with 3 is made only along the outer contour of the atomic block. I don't know. Stuff is twisting my brain. In bold here, another heading. So, the first rule for a phantom. This isn't too much longer, you guys. I, I There's a couple more neat little gems in here, though. None of the mantises of the biostructure should contain in decomposition. Okay, and this is all in red, and this is a key point. Three. However, all genotypes created after zero years have exactly three in the decomposition of the brain mantissa. Because the cube... In parentheses, in the decomposition is the Star of David. Not sure what that means, but I'm thinking he's referring to sacred geometry, Star of David. There are, these are 4XX genotypes, where 421 are representatives of Asia Minor. These biostructures are not subject to storage, and reincarnation has been removed since 2000. Sounds like the year 2000 when he refers to it as since 2000. So, what he's saying there, perhaps, is that some biostructure, whether that's Asia Minor or uh, uh, like a dimensional version of the whole world, including Asia Minor, or just this biostructure within our world, these biostructures are not subject to storage and reincarnation has been removed. So what does that mean? Does that mean this is where I say mandala-y? Are, are, are chronos capsules degrading? somewhere are they are do they get relegated and spun up and spun down do they copy portions of one chrono capsule or one noosphere to another um and then leave everything that they they the controllers the creators of this control system that's being described by this chrono capsule paper do they then you know only move forward with the stuff they want and consign other biomes, no spheres, chrono capsules to slow degradation and death? Is the, is the um, hard drive magnetic head coming around sometime soon on the, you know, uh, perihelion of our orbit and going to wipe us if we're in a noosphere that's not scheduled for storage, that's not subject to storage? In bold, the base of the noosphere. The material base of the noosphere is the upper limit in an octave. For old complexes, it is an octave 64 equals 184-467-440-737-0955-1616. Very specific, very specific. Why do guests use this octave? I found that really interesting. What, is, what the hell does he mean, guests? Is this a server? Is this the Mi a Minecraft server where somebody built their, you know, pro-level world and invited some guests to hang out on the server for a while? And they're not subject to storage, perhaps, when you reset the game? First, the eight asterisks, eight square is chess. 
where the number of options for solving the horse traversal problem is commensurate with the age of the universe. In parentheses, they believe that there was a big bang. Secondly, in the cube, eight times eight times eight, so that wasn't eight asterisk eight, it was eight times eight. Eight times eight times eight, it is possible to build up 36 mantises for octaves 24 through 52, using in decomposition. Three, since until Easter 2008, the base is the material base is 64 octave, then all the capacities were used to maintain the structure of this base. This is where I'm sure the translation is failing us heavily here. Uh, not that this would probably be ultra clear, even if it was a perfect translation, because I'm sure this guy is on one. But I love him, but he's on one. This is an octave range of 15 to 63. In parentheses, gravitational octaves, GP. However, the Earth and the planets were created long before the arrival of the guests, and the base was an octave of 512 in parentheses, can be compared with 128 in terms of capabilities. Okay, so, not for nothing, but now, of course, finally, I'm realizing 512 kilobytes was an early uh, standard for benchmark for memory, okay? Uh, 128, of course, was uh, 64. He just mentioned material base, 64 octave. Those of you who are almost as old as me might still remember your Commodore 64s and I barely knew one person in the whole neighborhood back there on Long Island who uh, whose dad had the money to pony up for a 128 okay everybody forgets there was a Vic 20 <laughs> right piece of shit 20 kilobyte machine the Commodore 64 which you had to have that was the unit that was your gaming machine powerhouse programming machine. I still really would love to get an old Commodore 64. If you have a working 64 and you're in western Washington and you're willing to part with it, you let old Steve know. I'll drive to you. Uh, come pick up that 64. Put some greenbacks in your in your hand. Um, and I want your drives and I want your discs too. Let's get them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Commodore 128. So uh, again, back to that sort of you know, very possible in 2010 for him to just be drawing upon, you know, memories and awareness of these times and these standards and things about computing to come together with this, you know, ultra wild theory of his. But yeah, let's let's just keep going. We're almost at the bottom of this dock, and and I'm really hoping this just gets anybody Russian speaker or no, ha take a stab at this Mikhailovich uh, paper and his whole library because he's got several other essays that are all seemingly scientific um and let's try to parse what on earth this resource even is and the and the place that i found it this library um is it a university library is it like a weird scary uh conspiracy site of some kind or what is it i don't really know it had like a an interesting feel to it Let's see here. So the Earth and the planets were created long before the arrival of the guests, and the base was an octave of 512, can be compared with 128 in terms of capabilities, right? So that 512 is that fuerte. That's that strong, 128. It's doubled. Uh, you know, they put the extra memory in to that, <laughs> to that octave. Uh, however, everything above 128 octaves 
was put into a static state with no correction possibilities. What does that mean? Read-only memory? This has led to serious negative phenomena and processes that have accumulated over 18,500 years. This is the accumulation of the Earth's mass, the growth of potentials of gravitational frequencies in near-Earth space, interruptions in communication tubes with planetary satellites, a change in the gravitational frequencies to fix the Earth's water balance. He has a whole paper on water. Again, that's a whole area that people geek out on hard, and there's books, many documentaries on YouTube and elsewhere all about water, having a memory, and water being able to be affected by things, water being able to store data, uh, water being, you know, a uh, universal catalyst and conductor, etc., etc., etc. Earth's water balance, changes in the structure of the noosphere as a habitat for biostructures, and so on. Since the noosphere changes, the biostructures must also change in a certain way, but this does not happen. In parentheses, the guest pyramids are fixed relative to a parameter that does not apply to quartzization. So that's those anything above 128 octaves in that static state. They're not subject to that quartzization. The main part of the octaves, more than 99% in parentheses, that were used to construct the Earth were not involved before Easter 2008, and the crisis, parentheses, collapse, began immediately after Easter. In bold, the second rule for the phantom. In red here, only those biostructures that are based on frequencies of at least 224 oct octaves are subject to conservation. All the golden billion biostructures created after zero years are based on a maximum frequency of 128 octaves. So this is all in red. Is he indicating that we are not above 224 octaves, therefore not subject to conservation? We're at a maximum frequency of 128 octaves, but up above earlier, he mentioned that our current octave is something like 96, even lower. So is that perhaps why the Earth, if, if we're putting on our mandala effect cap for a second here, is that perhaps why the Earth is experiencing such strange times right now and why those who feel that they're affected by the Mandela effect and observing its changes in their lives, you know, feel like things are, in many cases, like progressively getting worse and more divergent from a memory that they recall. Are we experiencing sort of degradation of the biostructure inside this noosphere that's operating at too low or was constructed at too low of a frequency and is therefore not actually subject to conservation, therefore being maybe left behind and in bad repair with an inevitable future complete disillusion somehow coming our way. I told you he was on one. And I'm on one, obviously, and finally puffing, so I'm feeling that a little bit, which is definitely helping me pull this uh, together in my little mental hopper. We were just smoking a bowl. I didn't even have, I didn't even have the energy to like roll one right now this morning. All right, so we, we, we found out that the golden billion biostructures created after zero years are based on a maximum of 128. And he refers to those octaves as frequencies. 
octaves certainly must be a frequency, right? We're talking about sound. Again, sound, sacred geometry, cymatics. I mean, this guy doesn't use all those buzzwords back in 2010. He's using his own terminology, his own language that, you know, isn't um, all YouTubified and homologated with everybody else's, you know, uh, naming conventions these days, which I kind of like because it lets me reach for the equivalent in my memory. So, in bold here, again, we're almost done. Gravitational frequencies, in parentheses, short reference. No gravitons exist. Gravity is a property of an electric charge. Thunderbolt's project, electric universe theory stuff right here. They were definitely around all the way back in 2010. I think they started in the 90s, so not saying you couldn't be aware of them. But right there, gravity is a property of an electric charge. In general, the charge has a central part and a shirt, in parentheses, contour. So it's like he's describing the shape of a charge, of a, of a magnetic charge. The charge moves between the nodes of the isosahedron, going to just choke on that every time, having a slip angle and potential. A shirt is not needed in the structure of the isosahedron. The structure vector is directed to the center of the charge, and the charge itself is subject to external forces. To ensure a stable state of charge, each isosahedron is framed by two dodecahedrons. Dodecahedrons are stabilizing structures. The charge cannot exist alone. Note, the edges of the outer dodecahedron and the inscribed isosahedron are equal, and the edge of the inner dodecahedron is less than the square of the golden section. So it's like a sandwich. Outer tetrahedron, inner dodecahedron. It's like a dodecahedron sandwich. In red, the effect of the difference of edges creates the basis of gravity. So, when the dodecahedron's fields interact with the tetrahedron's fields in this close relationship, nearly contacting one another, they stabilize each other and lock you, sort of phase lock you into place, gravity. We've seen demonstrations of like ultra-cold superconducting materials, uh, demonstrations of things like floating and being able to be moved and pivoted into different positions, floating in the air and maintain that fixed position once moved into it, uh, and or have a tendency to go from a, you know, spun movement where you give it some energy to back to a static, stable state. Again, fixed in position or phase locked, whatever you want to call it. Um, and those are sort of, I mean, they're always characterized as anti-gravity technology, anti-gravity demonstrations when we see them, right? So whether that's scale-upable, scale-downable, uh, you know, it's always been characterized and discussed in terms of this is a fundamental force, this is a force that would work on small and large scales. We just, you know, only have the resources and technology to go so big with this right now, so to speak. Uh, otherwise, we'd all be driving around on maglev roads, right? So, just dropping down below another table here. It's talking about external dodecahedron, inscribed isosahedron, inner dodecahedron. In total, we have 22 contours. Each next inscribed triple contour has a different quartzization frequency. Therefore, the external dodecahedron of the next inscribed contour 
has the characteristics of the previous outer contour for a different quartzization. Of course. <laughs> There's a growth of the pseudo-octave, and therefore if we take the outer contour as 1, then the 22 contour corresponds to 2 to the 21st. Gravitational frequencies can be obtained in any circuit, but the basic circuit has them constantly. In bold, rule 3 for the phantom. A phantom in a chronocapsule can also include material structures, in parentheses 63 octaves, but at the same time, the supporting autonomous energy center should be in the part of the atomic block of the 22 nesting level. I mean, where else are you going to put it? It is only those biostructures of the Earth that were created before the introduction of the, quote, golden billion, where the energy structure is the external contour of the atomic block. As a result, the known 20 amino acids are structures built on the external contour of the atomic block. So, yeah, that last part was in black. It wasn't all in red. And then they go here, rule four for the phantom. Any biostructure with all 64 codons of DNA in the cell structure can be stored for billions of years. Guys, I don't know. I don't. I mean, maybe I just wasted an hour of your life listening to we don't even know what. And kind of over an hour before I get my editing done here. But we'll, we'll trim it as hard as we can. You know, I try to keep it close to that. Kat, Katibov Alexander Mikhailovich. Chronocapsule. Found by way of Hodheflamsta's YouTube channel. Where... Hodheflamsta uh, from Belgium tells us about the incredible theory of the gigantic Earth or crater Earth theory. It is definitely an easy target for being dismissive. But this man's first couple of videos are a total of 13 minutes long and between the two of them. I invite you, nay, I challenge you, if you've listened this far, check out Hodheflamsta's channel. G-O-D-G-E-V-L-A-M-S-T-E. Put that right in the search bar in YouTube. Or check out our show notes from today's show. We're going to get you right there. Click around. Check out his videos on this topic. He's got some other music stuff up there from before. I think he's a musician. Uh, his own description for the video starts out with the lead-in sentence that, well, the only sentence, it's, it's very succinct. This is a creative attempt to combine flat earth and the spherical concept. He's got a lot here in 13 minutes. I didn't even hint at it. If you've listened to the show before, if you've had fun with any of the more unusual topics we've talked about, if you liked the recent discussions on the bicameral mind and homo divinus, if you've checked out the Norb theory before in the past, this definitely reminds me of the Norb theory. I've actually commented on Hothe Flomsta's channel that I thought, you know, there was maybe some shared commonalities there. These are syncretic cosmogenies they're they're attempting to pull together from a lot of previously 
and established, you know, previously existing and fairly well-established traditions, philosophies of the universe coming from, you know, Hinduism, coming from ancient Rome and Greece, uh, and, and coming from uh, Christianity and Gnostic texts and Kabbalah texts, uh, Talmud texts, uh, etc., the, the Bhagavad Gita, I mean, there's, there's none of those that I just mentioned don't have some little pixel of representation in the Chrono Capsule essay we just talked about, uh, frankly, uh, but, but to stay on topic of Hodhiflamsta's channel uh, in his gigantic earth theory. Uh, he's interesting. He's got, like I said, 10 or 12 videos on it total and he's developed the idea over the last couple of years and he's still working on it so who knows maybe we'll see another video from him on it soon but again the invitation is there please help me check out Hodhiflamsta's channel and his gigantic earth theory and hit me up with your thoughts on it you can always email me at talk to us at bakedinawake.com you know that by now I'll put it in the show notes for you. You can always follow me on Instagram and hit me up there. I'll probably post something to direct people to this episode and, and mention these concepts over there. So if you're following me there and you see that post, you can comment there what you thought of the gigantic earth theory and the chronocapsule theory of our friend Kat Katibov Alexander Mihailovich. I'll be thinking about it for a while. I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to be reading all of his papers. I'm going to be reading A Plea for a Flat Earth and the Moon Smiles by Klaus Dijkstra. I'm going to include a link to that PDF of that book for you guys as well. Again, written in 1969. Don't tell me you've heard of this before. Don't tell me you've seen this somewhere. Don't tell me that this has been podcasted about because I don't believe it. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, awesome. Actually slam me over the head with it so I can go and find that content and check it out as well. Um, because I'd love to see somebody else's take on A Plea for the Flat Earth from 1969. So yeah, just out here wading around in Weirdsville for you guys like always and uh, loving every minute of it uh, super appreciate all the recent growth on YouTube YouTube is up almost 60 subscribers in the last 28 days I think it was 58 subscribers in the last 28 days as of when I checked yesterday uh, and that's humbling and awesome we still have a long ways to go to hit a thousand that puts us at like 532 subscribers or something like that uh, you may have heard me mention in the past that I need to get back to a thousand subs not back to but I need to get up to a thousand subs now to get back a feature that YouTube used to make available to everybody which was going live from mobile within the app from your phone when you're out in the field now you have to have a thousand subs or greater to use that basic feature and though I hadn't done a lot with it I had done it a couple times already and I was I found out that I couldn't do it anymore by trying to do it recently for the podcast and for the YouTube channel so bummed me out 
I can go live from home, but I don't have a webcam on this computer here at my desk upstairs in the, in the shop. So, uh, you know, it's just not something I'm set up to do here at the house. And besides which, the idea of going live when I'm out in the field is what was attractive, right? I wanted to do, you know, a little mud hunt architecture walk, and I was trying to go live while I was doing that. Couldn't do it. It was a bummer. Took video anyway. Uploaded it later. You know, we work around it. Uh, but just a great example of how platforms keep small content creators small and sort of help along who they want to help along. And how that, without like malice aforethought against me and my little pissy little podcast, how that just that paradigm and that tendency and that inherent by design nature of the system to support certain things, certain ways to like, to a fault, supercharging them and to, in a lot of ways, minimize and, you know, to use an ugly word, like suppress voices that are contrary to it or that a dime can't be made off of. That's the way you feel when you're working hard on a podcast and Every single episode takes six or eight or ten hours to create or more. And that's only the time that you're sitting at the desk with the record button on that has nothing to do with the reading and viewing of content that you do leading up to it. All of which, of course, is usually the content creator's, like, you know, area of interest. So that's what they like doing anyway. Nobody's putting a gun to my head and making me create this content at all. That doesn't mean I and doesn't mean any of us don't work hard at what we are creating for you guys because it's an ask, it's a request. We have finite time in this world. We might be subject to, we might not be subject to storage, you guys. We just found out about the chrono capsule. I don't even know if our reality is degrading right now. Maybe the eraser head is already on our track and starting to scramble us. Hence, Mandela. I don't know, but I need your help. We should figure it out, probably quick. So we may need to get our affairs in order. Ah, oh, gosh. All right, and that's about the closest I'll come to fear-mongering us most of the time, certainly for today. There's no way I'm going to be able to edit this down to an hour, so I apologize in advance if it's a long one, but we're having fun, and you know what to do. You hit that... 1.5 or 2x button if you have to. I'll wrap this off for you in Alvin and the Chipmunks voices if that's what I need to do. So you can get the info that you need to get. So you can get through your day a little bit more baked, a little bit more awake. <laughs> Alright, love you guys. Smoke some indica. and we'll do shit anyway. We'll be back together soon. <laughs>